Judges chapter 6 tonight to glean some, something for our souls from these verses. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the, the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no substances for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. It must have been bad when the sheep couldn't get a mouthful. Many sheep were up in the field there for two months and have it down to the sod nearly. So it must have been bad whenever the sheep couldn't get sustenance. Verse 5, For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude. For both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. Same games going on tonight. Same enemy. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. This is one of the nameless prophets in the Bible. There are others. The Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up. Now notice these, these singular words. I brought you up from Egypt, I brought you forth out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them, drove them out from before you and gave you the land. In other words, brought them in, brought them up, brought them out and brought them in. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. That's the problem. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. And there came an angel of the Lord and, say, and sat under an oak which was an orphan that pertaineth unto Joash the Abbasite. 
and the son Gideon trash tweet by the wine press. Or in the wine press, the original reading of that is, of course, you don't trash wheat in the wine press. That's for the grapes. There was no grapes. There was no grapes. The wine, the joy was gone. And the son Gideon thrashed wheat by the wine press or in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And here's who we're after tonight again. Theophany, the Christophany, in a crisis hour appearing, not this time just to an individual, but to a nation as well. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, Gideon, uh, ask Gideon, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now that's phrase causes a lot of thought over the years by many scholars. I don't have a problem with it, uh, to be quite honest with you. Verse 30, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? That's the same question that's gone up today from many of God's people. And where be all the miracles? We could say, where be all the revivals of the past? Which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked not so strong word, that's a gaze. The Lord gazed upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor, and the were poor family. In Manasseh, that's this, one of the smallest tribes, and I am the least, the youngest, in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, here's something we all love to hear, don't we? Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites, as one man. We'll just leave the reading there and keep your Bibles open, please. Gideon was the tenth of the thirteen judges raised up by God to govern Israel in the absence of kingship. The sacred scriptures tell us that there was no king in Israel in these days. And every man did write that right which they thought was in their own eyes. So this was the 13th, the 10th the of the 13th judges that God raised up to give leadership in times when there was no king. The main events before this in the history of the children of Israel there, they were brought out of Egypt 
by Moses and through the wilderness and through the, through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. And then Joshua brought them out over into Cain. And that was what was briefly behind them. And what was to follow them after this was uh, the kings. King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. But in this period between, there were wicked and evil days when you have the word of God telling you that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You can very well know that things were bad. Warren Wesby, 25 years ago, out, done a sketch out of the book of Judges. And he said this, and I have penned down what he said. He said, you can read the book of Judges with your daily paper open beside you. And here's what he, he, described, he described out. Sixty-nine brothers dead in a family feud. A government leader found guilty of disclosing secrets to, his, to a foreign agent's lover. Gang rape and the dismembering of a woman's body outside her home. Girls abducted and forced into illegal marriage. A judge stating that travelling no longer was safe on certain highways. Surely when we read that that he spent 25 years ago, we can say there's nothing new under the sun. The tabloids would have a heyday on, the, on, this, on these facts alone. Slavery, poverty, famine, austerity, criminal gangs. It's all in the book of Judges when men and women were doing that which they thought was right in their own eyes. How we need leadership and how we need spiritual leadership to keep us, to keep us on the path. Now, in order to preserve his people... Where Judges chapter 6, if you open your Bible, in order to preserve his people every time in the iniquity and the immorality of the nation, every time when, just look this way please, every time when immorality and evil was dipping in his grace and in his mercy, he raised up the judges. And he raised up the judges to defeat the enemy and drive them back and to give his people respite again. These judges were very interesting characters and this talks about the love and the grace of God Keeping his church, keeping his people, keeping his promises that he would never leave them or forsake them and their promises too. And that's, I can't help but think of revival when I'm thinking like this. But whenever the church is down in a very, very low ebb, God breathed. And he doesn't, this is the very same thing in the judges. In order to keep his promise and and, and to build up his people and to keep his people. He raised up men here and there as judges and set them 
at times when they cried unto the Lord. Now these judges were, I take comfort when I read about these judges and the 13 of them, I think I've preached on maybe all of them over the years. Some were educated, some were illiterate, some were illegitimate. Some of them were rich and some of them were poor. Some were soldiers, some were priests, some were farmers, some were diplomats, some of them were outlaws. But in his sovereignty, in the, when the nation was beleaguered and impoverished and they desperately cried, God looked for a man and he took a man out from amongst his people and he raised him up and blessed him. Now in application for that today, again let me say it's in order that he builds up his church, in order that he keeps his covenant promise with the people of God, he has men here and men there and sessions there, seasons there and seasons there when he comes with times of refreshing just to restore the people when we're in a low ebb, in a low ebb. And this has always been the way in the history of the church way back as far as you want to go. Whenever England was in its lowest, one of its lowest states, he raised up Wesley and Whitfield and Spurgeon and America Moody and Finney. He always had his men in, 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 in Machine and Bonner and John Knox in Scotland, Christmas Evans, Daniel Rowland in Wales, W.P. Nicholson, Gideon Osley, and others in Ireland, men that God lifted out and the Holy Spirit came upon them and he used them, unpredictable, men, he can take anybody anywhere. And Jeremiah says that about, him, about running through the streets of Jerusalem looking for a man. And I believe he's looking for men and young men today for the crisis hour that we're in in our province, the crisis hour that we're in in our nation. He might be a farmer. He may be an electrician. He could be a joiner. He could be somebody untaught, someone to stand, to stand in the gap. I take great comfort from reading about the judge. I take great comfort from that verse that Paul gives us that not many might, not many mighty. He has chosen the weak things and the things that are not. So take comfort tonight, no matter how bad your sin has been in the past, you're redeemed, your sins are forgiven, you're before God. God can use you and he can use me and he wants to use us in different aspects of our life. So don't write yourself off and don't think that you're no good. You don't have to go to have college sin and to be used for the Lord. You don't have to have A-levels or doctors because there's not many of them. It's just the ordinary things and the weak things and the men of the streets and men doing ordinary days work. God can come upon them. And that's what we need to see again. And that's what happened in, 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 in Judges. In Judges. There's a threefold enemy to face here that you'll see in verse 3. It says in verse 3 in the, that the Midianites come up, the Amalekites come up, the children of the east came up, them though the Amorites, so those and the, or the Arabians and the Amorites mixed together. That was that was a threefold enemy, threefold enemy facing the people of God. 
And as you'll see in a minute, the damage that they were doing, they stole their freedom. The world, the flesh, and the devil is the three enemies that we face. Let me tell you this, when the world and the flesh and the devil gets working in the church and gets working amongst the people of God, it stole their freedom, their fruitfulness, and their food. How we need to guard against. Now I want to speak a wee moment about Midian, because they're the main crowd here. The word Midian means strife. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Midianites came from the loins of Abram. The father of the faithful, the friend of God, the old patriarchal, old patriarch of promise. You know, whenever Sarah died, Abram married again and he married a woman named Keturah and had five children. One of them children, I think it was the third one, was Midian. And Isaac, who was Abram's son, as you know, Isaac and Midian got on well and jailed well as half-brothers. They got on well and they jailed well for a while for a while. And if you read in Numbers and other scriptures, you'll read that, 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 that Abram was very good to them. And he gave them money, and he gave them possessions, and he gave them land. And then trouble started. And some of the women of the Midianites seduced some of the men of Israel, and a religious war broke out. And a mighty division came. And from that moment, there were sworn enemies. And here, the call on the wicked Amalekites and the Arabians to join with them against Israel, who was their half-brother in that sense of Isaac. Let me say this to you this, this evening. There's no feud like a family feud. It's deep. It's bitter, and it goes on for generations. There's no feud like a religious feud. There's no feud like a feud that, ha- that happens and is happening and has happened down to the years in our churches. Midian means strife. There have been no end of strife and splits in our evangelical churches and never were healed in so many places. No damage can be done from without a fellowship like that which can be done from within. Strife and division, no food, no fellowship. And I can tell you, when you get strife in a fellowship, there'll be no fellowship worth talking about, and there'll be no food of any use for it to be of no good to preach it. Do you hear me now? One of the greatest needs of the hour in the evangelical church is for repentance. 
One of the greatest needs of the hour in the evangelical church is to put things right with our brothers and with our sisters. Isn't it sad that we can run meetings in the lake of Dungannon and other evangelical churches will not come? No, we won't go to them. This problem with Israel here didn't come from the world in that sense. It came from within the family. And the damage was awful. And when cliques start, and murmuring starts, and gossiping starts, behind the backs of the elders and deacons and the churches and the car parks and in the corners, the church fellowship is over. And I'm speaking from experience. It's over. Oh, may God help us. May God help us. Here Israel's in a terrible, terrible state. Impoverished, which I'll show you in a moment what that really means. And they call on their... The Midianites call on their other enemies to help them and they that should be loving one another, hating one another. And as they slew the Christ, the same thing, Herod and Pilate came together and they made peace with one another. And that's what you're facing here. When this coalition of evil surrounds them, they're helpless. And all they can do is what they've done time and time before this and time and time after this is to cry unto God. And whenever the Christians and fellowships began, begin to, debate, to bite and devour one another and that root of bitterness springs in, it must be dealt with. And we need to cry unto God until it's dealt with. But I don't believe that many of God's people realize how sensitive the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is a dove. And he will not rest where there's discontentment. He will not rest where there's noise and confusion. No, no, he'll not stop. And we need to realize that he, the Holy Ghost, is a person... And he'll hover over a church and if he can't find peace and rest, he'll go. And we can carry on. Of course we can carry on. We don't need the Holy Ghost to sing the hymns. We don't need the Holy Ghost to preach the word. We don't need the Holy Ghost to get the crowds in. But we need the Holy Ghost if we're going to see blessing. But we're going to see blessing. For seven long years, this trilogy of evil demoralized the people of God to a degree that they never hardly were ever as low. Seven long years. They swept down every year when they had their harvest won. 
They watched him from the mountains and from the hills until these dear people won with the sweat of their brow their harvest of corn and barley and wheat. And then when all was ready for them, they never worked and they always begged and they stole. Talking about Midian now. These marauding bedouins descended like a plague of locusts, grasshoppers. Mothers grabbed their children in their arms and ran. Old men hobbled to the hills as hard as they could go. Young girls were taken and they were caught and they were raped. And right down the whole coast, the word of God says, right down the Gaza Strip, or way right down to the sea's end, they hammered them into submission every year for seven years. And all they could do was to flee. Flee to the mountains and to the rocks and to the strongholds and starve all winter. Is it any wonder, Gideon says, why, where art thou, O God? Why hast thou forsaken us, thy people? Is it any wonder he was bewildered? Is it any wonder I'll show you why his father backslid? Look at verse 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. Now notice the Holy Ghost is emphasizing the Midianites. They were the main antagonists. I tell you there's no feud like a family feud. Now see this word cried here is 12 times mentioned in Judges whenever they were in the corner. And let me tell you this, it was only when they were in the corner they cried. And in all the times that they cried, there's not one bit of sign of repentance. You see, you can cry and not repent. You can be desperate and not repent. You can call on to God for some situation in your life, physically or in some other manner, and not repent. If they would have repented, the cycle would not have had to be go on and on and on and on. New judges taken all the time. When they were in the corner, they cried unto God. Take us out of this dilemma. Take us out of this situation. Oh God, our children starving and our women are being raped. Take us out. No repentance. Once they got out and once all went well, sometimes for five years, sometimes for ten, everything went well. And then the Lord delivered them again. And remember, the Lord, it was the Lord delivered, he delivered them in again. Because he said, he t- the unnamed prophet here says, you have not obeyed my voice. That's why. That was the problem, disobedience. Would to God, God's people would obey the voice of God. If the people of God in this fellowship would obey the voice of God, we would be near revival than ever we are.
You see, it baffles me how Christians can sit in meetings after meetings after meetings and hear lectures on prayer and the Lord's table and all that sort of thing, but doesn't take a bit of fact on most of them. How is that? You weary yourself, you weary yourself trying to get the people stayed in to get into, for them, for their own sake, that they might get into the joy of the Lord and into the presence of the Lord. Not, not for any other reason. I just, I just want the people of God to have what I have. I want them to be enjoying the Lord the way I'm enjoying the Lord. So that is a right aspiration. Why wouldn't we want people to have the blessing of the Lord in their life and to live knowing that the Lord is with them and enjoying the Lord? And I know when I'm sitting in a meeting and listening to somebody or something, I know when the Holy Spirit shows me where I'm wrong. But it seems to me that it doesn't be the way with so many people. You look at this prayer meeting tonight. You think of the hundreds that have heard about this prayer meeting tonight. You look at the many people out there tonight that come to this fellowship and have no no interest in prayer. But you see, the problem is disobedience. And that's so hard. Twelve times this word cried is in the judge, but there's only only three times it's mentioned as the way that it's mentioned here. The other times is a different word. The word cry here is to loudly shriek. Do you ever hear anybody shrieking at the top of their voice? It's the same word used. It's the same word used when they came out of the bondage of Egypt. They cried unto the Lord at the hand of the taskmaster. It is the same word used by the old mariners in the book of Jonah whenever their Jonah was lying sleeping in the bottom end of the ship and they were sailing down the Mediterranean and the great storm arose and those old mariners who lived on the sea all their days had to throw off the tackle and to throw out the stuff out of the ship and the whole thing started to shake and rock and rattle and she was nearly, nearly down and they cried unto their gods, not God, their gods. And I tell you, when the, when the heathen gets into a corner, he'll run for his God. Whatever that God may be. Because eternity is in the heart of man. It's the same word that the mariners used. Now let me tell you this, it's the same word that Jesus used when he cleansed the temple. And the old Pharisees tackled them about the children, singing and praising God. And the Lord Jesus said to them, and you remember what he said to them. He said to them, if the children don't praise me, and if the children don't sing, and the, and, and the children don't, 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 don't do what they're doing, the very stones in this building will cry out. 
And you men round this table on Sunday morning would need to take heed of that. Do you hear that now? Some of these mornings the stones will cry out while you men sit and can't open your mouth to praise the Lord for the bread or the wine. There's something wrong. That's the word that's here. Of all the times, and I must emphasize this again, of all the times that they cried in their terrible dilemma, the children of Israel, and God raised up a judge for them, and all the times they never repented. And as I said, there's many like that today, no real repentance. No real repentance. No real brokenness. Now, hold on till we come on down to what we're after tonight. Although we'll not get this finished tonight. Even though there was no genuine repentance, and as soon as the dilemma was over and God blessed them and went back to their old ways, God knowing that still kept his covenant promise with them. Look at verse 8. That the Lord sent a prophet. Now there's two men here in this portion. There's one a prophet, and there's the other one's the prophet, priest, and king. And you just let that settle in your mind. When they cried desperately unto the Lord because of their condition, they were juking and hiding and starving and running. The Lord sent a prophet. Now notice the Lord sent them. There's a whole lot of boys sent to the, in places of the day they were never sent. And Jeremiah says they run, but they were not sent. And their churches are coming down with them. The Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. He was a nameless prophet. He wouldn't have minded not being named. God named most of his prophets. You know what a prophet is? A prophet of God, a true prophet of God. Do you know what he is? He's God's emergency man in a crisis hour. He doesn't mind whether he's named or not. Man sent from God will not mind whether people name him or whether they don't or whether they glorify him or whether they don't or whether they thank him or whether they don't. I was talking to a man not so long ago. He says, don't see about the meetings in the lifeboat now. He says, you used to come right regular. Aye, and he says, you used to give an odd word at the table. You know what he said to me? Nobody ever appreciated the word I brought at the table. Oh. I said, tell me about it. 
Oh, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody ever said one word to me. And I found if that's where you're, where you're in it, you'd better get out of it. <laughs> if you're in this job to get accolades, praise it. You'd better clear now. <laughs> no, this boy doesn't mind whether he's named or whether he's not named. He's not interested in that. What he's interested in this, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He's coming with a message. Isn't, it, isn't the Lord lovely, gracious, and tender the way he came here? He didn't come with the sword. He didn't come with the whip. He just slipped in at the end the reason because he's faithful, you see. But he didn't come with that at the beginning. He didn't charge them and challenge them and say, your sin and your iniquities have separated you and that's why it's going on. You just need to sort yourself out and straighten yourself. No, no. Oh, the Lord's more gracious than me, isn't he? What does he do? He reminds them of the past. And friend, listen tonight. No matter how great your trial is, and these tri- this was an awesome valley, but no matter how great your trial is tonight or how great your perplexity is tonight, and how great things are that you don't understand like these people and why God is doing this and doing that and allowing this and allowing that, even in your own family and in your own life. Never forget to look back to the pit from whence we were dug. <laughs> That's what he's saying to them. He says, just stand your ground now and, and thank you. You see, it can be all doom and gloom. What he says I want you to do, he says, I want you to look back to the past. And how Moses brought you up, brought you out, and you were brought in. Let us just think about that a wee moment tonight in all our trials and troubles and perplexities and everything that's going on around us. Never forget that he lifted us out of the miry clay, set our feet upon the rock, brought us into blessings. Think of the blessings of this day alone. Think of the joy of what God has for us and the future that he has for us. Yes, he says, listen, he brought you out of the bondage of Egypt for 420 years. You were under the taskmaster. He brought you out. He delivered you. He gave you the quails and the manna and the water from the rock and the pillar by cloud by day and fire by night. And he kept you for 40 years in Kadesh Barnea when you rebelled against him. I tell you, that will start doing away with all our woes and murmurs. No matter how we feel tonight, never forget to look back to that day at Calvary's cross. Never forget to go back to the cross and to the blood and to redemption's power. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
He's getting these people into their focus. He says, that's the first thing you need, you boys, you crowd need to do. You need to get away back and think of what I have done for you before. And I can do it again. This was a deep valley. And your valley may be deep tonight. But look away back to the cross. And then when we look away back to the day and hour that the Lord saved us and what it cost for him at Calvary to save us, we'll begin to forget our wee petty trials when we think of Calvary. But then in his grace again, he comes not only forget not, he says fear not in verse 10. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Many percent not we face, you've not obeyed my voice very tenderly and graciously. Fear not. You know, fear is one of the greatest weapons that the devil has against the children of God. Fear. And boy, he knows how to handle that sword. Fear against health. Fear against your children. Fear against your job. Fear, fear, fear against the future. It's amazing how many times the Lord Jesus Christ came in a theophany or Christophany to those that were fearful. He knows our frame and he remembers we are dust and he knows our fears tonight. And how often he comes with his promises and with his word. Now look at verse 12. I'm only picking out bits now as the Spirit leads me. Verse 11. And, the, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak. See, the Lord's sitting. Some of the scholars think that he may have been there for a couple of hours watching Gideon and the father poking about and afraid not to make too much noise in case the enemy would hear them stuck in the key of these this people of God that the freedom all gone. Oh, what place the church is in tonight. No freedom. No fruit. Hemmed in in a wee corner, afraid of the enemy, the great people of God. Thrashing a bit of wheat in a wine press where they should, where they, where they should have been whipping the grapes and getting the joice and getting oil. It was all gone. And they're only thrashing a bit of wheat to get enough to eat for themselves and keep themselves living. And some scholars think that that word there, that he sat and he watched them under an oak. I'll tell you the Lord's not in a hurry, and I'll tell you he's not a bit confused. And he's watching you and me. And he sat under an oak, which was north of the offer that was a village. Just a wee village. And the word offer means dust. I tell you, they were as low as they could go. See where he came to? We out into the mountain to a wee village. Glory to God the night he came to Bondone. 
But I was in a wee village. He sat under an oak which was an offer that pertained unto Joash, the Abersite. That was his father and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord, that's the theophany, that is the Christ of God in pre-incarnate form, the Lord Jesus sitting under an oak tree, appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. What do you make of that? Well, I'll tell you some things I don't make of it. Some said that he, that, that he was mocking them. The Lord wouldn't mock you. The Lord's not in the business of mocking. And he said himself, how could I be a mighty man of valor duking and hiding here from, from the enemy? The Lord wasn't mocking him. And others said, but he was going to be a mighty man. Well, there's part of truth in that, so he was. But you know, as I meditated upon this and thought about this, I thought of everything. He wasn't trying to blow him up. <laughs> I remember there was a fellow, Sam Cameron, used to work about our house, and he's the very same age as me, a few weeks different. And we were about 14, and he used to be about our house on the farm every day in it when he was home from school. And I remember out one day with my father and he was, he was putting, putting posts down and he was fencing lump of ground along the shore. And uh, he, he, say, he says to Sam, he says, Sam, take that sledge and drive down that post. And Sam hit the post a couple of times with my father. I never saw the boy, I never saw a boy could handle a sledge like you. He says, you boy, you can. And boy, Sam hit it every time he said that, he hit it harder. That's all he was trying to do. And, you know, hit it you, he says to me, hit it you. And I hit it, boy, you can hit it too, you hit it. And he got the whole stuff, the whole post in in half an hour. But that's not what's going on here. Do you know what I think was going on? Do you know what I think why he said this? I think that, I'm not reading from anybody here, I'm just saying you can look it out for yourself. I think that he, that Gideon was a nonconformist. What is a nonconformist? Someone who will not apostatize or conform to a false truth or false religion. Those were men like Luther and Wesley and Matthew Henry and Knox and all them great men that stood against the apostasy. And all the great martyrs and covenanters that stood a great apostasy. They held on when all was seeming to be lost, when everything was weak and poor. And there was no help seen to be coming. They stood their ground and believed in God. Joaz, Joaz, this man's father, didn't do that. He went back. He went, well, I'm not saying back, he went to Baal worship. He 
He was the priest of Baal in the village. He had idols up outside his house. He had idols up in the, in, in the entrance into the village. They offered sacrifices every morning to the god of Astaroth, the god of Baal, the wicked god of Baal. Now I'm talking about a man, a man of the children of Israel. But Gideon never gave in to it. And you may think, well, I began to think this out in my mind and in my heart for this meeting tonight. And I began to think, why would Joe Asher want to do such an awful thing as a child of God to put up those things in his village and at the door of his house and for his family? And there's two reasons. First of all, he felt that God had forsaken them. And there's no sign of God working and there's nothing happening. And I'll tell you another thing that I saw. He lost two of his sons to the Midianites at Tabor. Both of them were slain. Now you put yourself into his shoes. Whether the wife was living or not, uh, White says, Alexander White says that she was, and I don't know where he gets that from. But anyway, there's a mourning family. He has lost two sons to the Midianites. There's no sign of God. There's nothing happening. And he goes to idol worship. Well, I don't. Don't mock Job and Jewish now because there's a lot of God's people and because they're seeing nothing happening and very little happening and no sign of God and they've a bit of trial and tragedy in their life and they start to blame God and they're way back. But Gideon did not acquiesce with this and we know that when we read on in the Scriptures. Because when this conversation, and we're not going to go into it tonight, this conversation went on between God, uh, between the Lord and Gideon and the meal that was cooked and all the rest of them, when all was done, God said to, the Lord said to Gideon, he says, go, he says, and build an altar to the Lord at the gate of the city. And when you put the altar up to the Lord, go and cut to pieces your father's altar. The altar to be in. You can't have both of them. You can't have both of them. And he said, Jehovah Shalom, peace. And peace came into this young man and peace came into his soul and victory and courage came into his soul and he went out and he put the altar up to God and he says, I'm going to worship the God of Jehovah. I'm not going to worship Baal. No, he was an unconformist, all right. And it takes a young man and he was only a young man. Mind you, he lost two brothers too. And he was asking questions about God. 
but he had an encounter with the living Christ and that's what changed it. He's out of the valley now. And he said, go and take that bullock that your father has to offer up to Baal tomorrow morning. And he's going, every morning offered up, the father offered up a sacrifice to the godless Baal. He says, go, go and take that bullock. That's why he got him to build it first and take the, and take the, the wood and the groves and the stuff that your father's up and burn it on the altar. Burn it on the altar. And take that bullock, that young bullock, and take that bullock that he's going to offer to the devil. You take it and offer it to me. And he did. And then he told him to go out and destroy all all that the father had up. And of course, if you read the story, you'll know that they tried to kill Gideon. I am convinced that that was part of what the Lord meant when he said to him, Thou mighty man of valor, you've stood your ground in the midst of this, and I'm going to bless you for it. Would to God we will stand our ground even when things are poor and bad and dark, because that's the time the Lord will come, my friends. Now, I have said this before, and I say it again. Over the 34 years here, people have come and people have gone. And they've swept in round on promises that has been mentioned, that I have mentioned, promises that came to me, not to them, not to you, to me. You get your own promise. And people have come in and they've swept round the hill, the river, the valley, and the blessings of God, and the Irish revival, and all that's going to happen. And then there we while they say, no, there's nothing happening. And then they go off. Some go off with the worst tongue in their head. But you see, God doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. God will honor those and those who stand for truth in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation and will not conform. And we must not conform to what's going on around us today. And we won't. Isn't it powerful how it took that man from Qatar, that boy about the World Cup that they're having, to say that homosexuals are not allowed in this country? And when asked by a German reporter, why well, did he not, did he realize what he was saying? He says, indeed, they do. It's, it's in their mind, he said. <laughs> I'm sure he's headline news. Oh, stand against the sodomites. We cannot conform our children to such trash and stuff and evil. We must stand against it. And we must pray and cry unto God and repent and ask him to come and rain righteousness upon us. And he will come. He sent, first of all, an unnamed prophet. 
to encourage them. He sent an unnamed prophet, and I'm going to finish now. Some of us are going in here to pray, and some of us have to go and know that. He sent an unnamed prophet just the same as he sent John the Baptist to make a way. It seemed that that conversation that that unnamed prophet had with him was cut short. It seemed to me that it seemed to cut short and just he appeared. I'll take over now. I'll take over now. Some of these days he'll he'll come down. Maybe under an oak tree. Maybe in some way, maybe Castle Derrick. Maybe some wee mission hall. He'll come down. And he'll change everything forever. But remember this, you can't have both. Either offer is going to have a, a sacrifice and the cross and the blood and the altar of God or the devil. You can't have both. The altar of the Baal has to go. Lock, stock and barrel and burnt in the fire. Before the Lord will say to Gideon, get your men ready. Gather up your men. Whittle them down to 300. And I'm going to work a mighty victory. And he scattered them. God will scatter the enemy. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We pray, Lord, that we might learn from your word tonight. Take comfort, Father, from your truth tonight. That you're saying to the depressed and defeated tonight, wherever they might be, fear not. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have brought you out and I have brought you up and I have delivered you and I have brought you in and I am bringing you through to glory. Hallelujah. We fear not what man can do. Hallelujah. Let the world and the flesh and the devil and the Midianites and the Amorites and the Parasites and all lights that ever was stand, Lord, there are only, we, only leaves in God's wind. Hallelujah. Praise you that we are the children of God born again on our way to heaven, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, there's light afflictions and that's all they are. They're just for a moment. And it'll pass, Lord. Lord, I pray for my dear brother Trevor Batchelor tonight. Pray that you'll touch Trevor, Father. Pray that he'll know your presence and your help, Lord. And Sylvia and Glenn and the family. We lift them to thee. Thank you that we can pray for one another. So, Lord, bless those now that must go and those that remain in prayer. Let us hold on to the horns of the altar. Maybe even tonight, Lord. Maybe even in this meeting. Maybe before we go home. The Lord will come down. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord.